Well, we're going to uh, hear from God's Word now as uh, we have our Bible reading, uh, which is going to be read uh, by Sam Mills. Uh, Sam is a member of our night church who's married to, to Sarah, uh, many of whom you would know uh, from Harrington Park and Gregory Hills. Uh, hello, Sam. Are you there? Yes, I am. Thanks, Johnny. Hey, great to see you, brother. And you're going to read, no from, you're going to read from God's Word for us this morning? Uh, I'll leave Absolutely. you to, to introduce that. Thanks, Sam. Our Bible reading comes from Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 to 12. I'll be reading uh, from the NIV. Matthew 7, verses 1 to 12. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven Give good gifts to those who ask him. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Good morning, everyone. Great to see you. My name is Gavin Oram, and I'm part of the ministry team here. And I'm the lead pastor for Gregory Hills, which is my great joy and privilege. It's uh, great to uh, see the Buller shirts around the room. I hope you're wearing some. Uh, out there in your homes too. Uh, That would be awesome. We're looking at uh, Matthew chapter 7 today, and Matthew's gospel has us thinking about Christian relationships today. It was actually the relationship of our staff team that got me to wear a Hawaiian shirt for the first time in my life today. So thanks, staff team. Love you guys enough even to wear a Hawaiian shirt. It's awesome uh, that we can be doing things together, and uh, it's uh, fun to be wearing these Hawaiian shirts today. Maybe it'll grow on me. I I never know. I'm going to pray now, and then we'll look uh, at God's Word from Matthew chapter 7. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Word. Uh, Lord Jesus, we thank you for your teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, and we pray, Holy Spirit, that you'll work in us now and convict us of these words and help us to put them into practice, particularly now as relationships are difficult with our social isolation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So relationships, Christian relationships. How is a Christian person supposed to relate to other Christians, to God, and to everyone else too. And the answers are found here in Matthew chapter 7, which I'm looking at the first half this week, and then Jono will continue on the second half uh, next, next week. Chapter 7 is all about relationships. And again, God in His kindness has given us this passage at this time when we desperately need to hear it. Our relationships are all under pressure and strain right now because of our social isolation. But I think, I firmly believe this social isolation is actually going to serve to enhance 
our relationships in the long run. And perhaps they've enhanced your relationships at home already. I firmly believe that God and his goodness is going to use the horror of COVID-19 to grow us together even closer. A couple of weeks ago when the isolation restrictions were kind of first level, Lara and I went to Mount Adam Botanical Gardens. Lara's my wife. It was actually the last day our children went to school before we kept them home from school. Uh, We grabbed some takeaway lunch from the cafe there and took a stroll around the gardens. And given mine and Lara's present physical condition, a stroll is pretty much our top speed. A run or even a jog are just plain out of the question at the moment. And it was a lovely stroll and there were a few people out and about. And we noticed an interesting phenomenon. The people we passed were eager for relationship, more eager than I can remember, certainly in Sydney. People were keen to stop and chat warmer than I've ever known strangers to be. There was a desire for relationship that was new and fresh and warm now that our relationships have been taken away in many ways. One of the ladies in our growth group shared on Monday night that she had been on the phone more with her friends as a result of COVID-19 than ever before. God has removed many of our relationships physically and we're feeling it. As a church, as a nation, as human beings, wherever we are, we are learning or relearning just how much we were hardwired by our relational God for relationship with him and with one another. So it's the perfect time to dive into chapter 7, which is all about relationships. Pull it apart and put it into practice if we're not doing so already. Because, friends, I think if we can do relationships well right now, then we'll just be smashing it when we actually come back together physically. So let's look again at verse 1 and 2. If you're following along on the outlines, then we're up to point 1. Don't judge, but please do discern. Verse 1, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. I want to start with what Jesus is not saying here. He's not saying don't be discerning. He's not saying don't judge at all. We make judgments all the time and rightly so. Does that person walking towards us look dangerous? Let's cross the other side of the road, kids. Is this person gossiping? Is that helpful? I'm going to leave this conversation right now. We're constantly making judgments and that's good and right. In fact, Jesus is about to call upon us to judge whether a person is like a dog or a pig in verse 6 and a false prophet in verse 15. So there's a biblical call and command to judgment in our relationships. He's not saying don't be discerning. He's not saying don't judge at all. What he is saying is do not be negative and destructive. Do not be a fault finder in your judgment of others. Some people are just looking for people to slip up in any way so they can jump on them and judge them. They can take the moral higher ground in the relationship, casting judgment down on the other. Jesus is saying, don't do that. The job job of judging others in that way belongs to the Lord Jesus alone, not us. He alone has the right to take the moral higher ground. It is his. He alone has the right to judge people in that way. A Christian, on the other hand, uses discerning judgment for the constructive purposes in order to build people up. Our job as Christians is to be critically discerning, first and foremost of ourselves and then humbly of others as well so that we might have opportunity to gently lead them away from error and instead into godly living. That's the kind of judgment that Jesus is talking about. 
In fact, the Christian can use their God-given ability for discernment and right judgment for the good of others. I hope, friends, that we're setting an example in social distancing, that we're making judgment calls all the time about what is good and helpful for all, that we've judged the words of our country's leaders as good and helpful and we're obeying them willingly. We have more time on our hands. Maybe we're listening to more podcasts online. I pray that we're judging whether or not the preacher is teaching faithfully from the Bible or not. But more of that next week from verse 15. To sum up, if you tend to be very judgmental of others, you will be judged more harshly by God. If you are humble, seeing your own faults first, slow to judge, but still able to be discerning about what is good and what is true, that is godly judgment. Second point, remove the plank and the speck as well. Verse 3, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your, out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. This is always a favourite opportunity for preachers, especially if their dads have a great hunk of wood hanging out of their eye. I haven't done it today. Uh, sorry, Dean Stanley, for the disappointment. Um, this is a straightforward teaching from Jesus here, but I still think we aren't actually very good at it. Now, please note the command here to not only remove the plank from your own eye, but also to remove the speck from your brother's eye. There is a command to remove the speck. And I think we forget to remove the speck when we read this teaching. But the problem is, how can we help someone else remove that speck when we're just as bad as they are? That's hypocrisy. No one likes a hypocrite, least of all Aussies. There are some great Aussie sayings to that effect. Those in glass houses must not throw stones. When you accuse someone of doing something they know that you do yourself, they say, that's the pot calling the kettle what? Black. That's the pot calling the kettle black, I hear you saying at home. Um, thanks to everybody before, born before 1980 for supporting me on that one. It was interesting, in the room, those born before 1980 called out and those after didn't. Here we go. Now, don't go criticising your brother when you do the same things. Instead, be godly so you can help him out. What Jesus is saying here, be sure to be living a godly and holy life that you've removed the plank from your own eye so that you can see when your brother or sister is sinning, that is, they have a speck in their eye and you can help them out of their sin, that is, you can help to remove the speck. Judge yourself first. Remove the plank from your own eye. Then you'll be in a position to lovingly help remove the speck the sin your brother or sister's the sin in your brother or sister's eye uh, i worked as an electrician at news limited for 6 years and my mate adam and i were numbering some cables there one day there's little tiny cable numbers that go over little tiny cables when there's 50 in a bunch and you need to know which cables which uh, adam was cutting one off and a piece of the plastic lodged into his eye remarkably he didn't even feel it about a half an hour later i noticed this bright colored piece of plastic lodged in his eyeball and I said to him, Adam, do you realise you've got plastic in your eye? He said, what? And I said, it must have been from when we were cable numbering. I couldn't fish it out, but I helped him to find it and I helped him to see it. And then he was the one that actually fished it out. 
That's what you do, right? I mean, of course I wouldn't not tell him about the hunk of plastic in his eye. You point it out straight away. Hands up at home if you've ever fished an eyelash out of someone else's eye for them because they couldn't see it. Jesus' teaching here is clear and it's clever. It's helpful. It's a no-brainer to help someone out with a speck in their eye or an eyelash or a bit of plastic. So it should be a no-brainer to help a brother or sister out with a sin that's stuck in their life. As Christians, we work hard to live godly lives so that we might see clearly and not be hypocrites on the day we see someone else caught in sin and we're able to lovingly point the sin out and perhaps even help them remove that sin from their lives. Third point, and I want to be sensitive here and make sure you hear me rightly. There is a time to give up sharing the gospel with someone, but it is very rare. Look at verse 6. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Dogs and pigs were unclean animals in the ancient world. Dogs roamed the streets looking for scraps in the garbage. Pigs were pretty much the same as they are eating waste and living, same as they are now, eating waste and living in mud. These days, dogs are treated remarkably well by some people uh, and even allowed into hotels and things. Uh, Some people treat dogs better than they treat people. Now, in the ancient days, a Jew would never think to feed holy food to a dog. No one would ever give pearls to a pig. The dogs and pigs that Jesus is referring to here are people who strongly despise the gospel of Jesus Christ and want no part of it. They don't want to believe it. They don't want to hear it. In fact, you could be in danger just talking to them about it. When I was door knocking one time, a man threatened me with a Stanley knife in his driveway. He said, get off my property. You've got two seconds when he found out that I was from the church. I eased myself back down the driveway carefully without turning my back. And I certainly kept my pearl of the gospel from him that day. I kept it to myself. A similar thing happened to Paul and Barnabas at the end of Acts 13 from verse 49. We read, Acts 13, 49, The word of the Lord spread through the whole region, but the Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, expelled them from their region. So they shook the dust off their feet as a warning to them and went to Iconium. They took their pearls of the gospel and they left. Now, there are many people in my life whom I have shared the glorious gospel of Jesus with who have not believed, and I still take every chance I get with them, and I pray for them. On the odd occasion, though, there is a time to give up and walk away when someone despises the gospel and genuinely does not want to hear it. You might even have to be careful not to turn your back, lest they tear you to pieces. Point four. Our prayer life reveals our attitude towards God. So this is about our relationship to God. It's been about our relationship to other people. Now it's about our relationship to God. Now I want to spend a little bit of time here, but after that we're pretty much on the home stretch. So now is a good time to pause the live stream, to go to the loo, to get a drink, another cup of tea perhaps, stretch your legs, cave in and put the kids on the iPad for 10 or 15 minutes. I really want you to all hear this next bit clearly. So if you need a little break, Hit the pause button now, and then I'll see you back very soon. If you took me up on the offer, welcome back. Uh, Here we go. Verses 7 to 11 are very much about our relationship with God. Look at verse 7. 
Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? The primary way which we relate to our Father in heaven is through prayer. Communication is always at the heart of every relationship. Jesus actively encourages us to pray by giving us some very gracious promises here. Nothing should excite you to prayer more than the promise that you will be heard by God in heaven. The one great frustration as a husband, as a wife, as a child, as a parent, as a teacher, as a student, as a boss, as an employee, is not being listened to attentively. God is always paying attention. We relate primarily through communication with everyone and listening is therefore of extreme importance and Jesus makes his promise to you, O child of God, your Father in heaven is listening. You have his full attention. Now Jesus knows that we are timid and shy, that we feel unworthy and unfit to present our needs to God. He knows that we think that God is so great and we are so tiny that we do not dare to pray. Well, Jesus wants to lure you away from such timid thoughts, to remove your doubts and to help you to confidently and boldly pray. So he does three things here in his sermon to urge you to prayer. And the first is he commands it. Ask, seek, knock. These are not mere suggestions, they're commands. Our dependence and our willingness to trust is tested by our obedience to ask for things. But not just to ask, but to persevere in asking. Ask and seek and knock. Demonstrate your dependence, demonstrate your faith in God by persevering in prayer. Secondly, Jesus makes three stunning promises to the child of God who does ask, seek and knock. Everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks will find. To everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. It's a remarkable truth that we can approach God so confidently, but it is true. Jews did not dare to think that they could ask of God in such an intimate manner in the first century. But through Christ's death and resurrection, the way to God is wide open through faith. Thirdly, Jesus tells a parable of a child coming to his father, asking for bread and asking for a fish. What father would give the child he loves a stone to eat or a snake which could harm him instead of fish? No father would do that. And Jesus goes on to make the point that no father would do that and all human fathers are evil, meaning we are all sinful. We're all imperfect. The force of Jesus' argument is in his comparison with God. If the sinful, imperfect father gives good gifts to his child, which of course he does, how much more will your father in heaven, who is holy, 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 
who has already made you a son or daughter by the blood of his one and only son, how much more will he give you every good gift? I think we forget that through faith in Jesus, we have already been granted sonship. We are already accepted in. Of course God loves us. He's already shown that. And he wants to bless us even more. Otherwise, we wouldn't be his children. I long to bestow good things on my children. Like any parent, how much more does our perfect God in heaven long to bless you, O child of God? So why don't we pray more? I can think of three reasons why we don't pray enough. Firstly, we think it's inappropriate. It's inappropriate because God is too busy. He's got a million things to do, especially at the moment with COVID-19 happening. He's flat out. I'm not even sick. I'm just a bit concerned about my family. My prayers are so small and petty. Not to mention, God knows what I need already, right? He is God after all. Why should I pray? Well, that's all wrong thinking, and this is why. God is infinite in majesty and power. He's not too busy. In fact, he, you have his full attention. He wants to hear your prayer. Jesus just told us that. So we can be sure he isn't too busy. His son told us to pray. Your prayer isn't too small. The problem isn't with God at all. It's with you and me. What prayer does is it forces us to submit ourselves to God. We're forced to find time, make effort, and verbally express our dependence upon God. And the problem is that we're not willing to do that, are we? So prayer isn't inappropriate. It's the very way God himself has chosen for us to express our conscious need of him and our humble dependence upon him. Secondly, we think it's unnecessary. Thoughtful Christians look around and they see people who aren't Christians getting the same good gifts as them. Health and wealth and happiness and holidays and the like. What's the point of praying God gives his good, gives his good gifts to everyone anyway? Well, that's partially true. God does send the rain on the believer and the unbeliever alike. But God only gives salvation and post-salvation gifts to those who ask for it with a penitent heart. Prayer for health, wealth, happiness and holidays is important because as Christians it acknowledges that God is the one who provides all these things. But as Christians... There are things that we can ask for that others who aren't Christians do not actually receive. We ask for forgiveness and we receive it through faith in Jesus. We ask for hope and we have it because we have the promise of eternal life. We ask for peace and it is given through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Prayer challenges us to consider what it is that we're praying for. If you think prayers are necessary... It's probably because you're asking for things that God already gives to every Tom, Dick and Harry. Which brings us to the third main reason that we don't pray. We think prayer is unproductive. I hear so many prayers that merely ask God for comfort, healing from sickness, relational stability in the workplace, an incident-free holiday. Two weeks ago, we talked about our love of earthly treasure. And often our prayer asks God for material blessings physical blessings instead of spiritual blessings, which is the ones that Christians really should be asking for 
and have the privilege of having on their own. If God doesn't seem to be answering your prayers, perhaps it's because, like a child asking for an Easter egg at 9pm at night, you're asking for the wrong things and God isn't willing to give them to you. Alex Motyer is a famous theologian. He said, If it were the case that whatever we ask, God was pledged to give, I for one would never pray again because I would not have sufficient confidence in my own wisdom to ask God for anything ever again. He goes on to say, imagine the impossible burden on your prayer if you knew God was always going to say yes. Oh my goodness, I better be careful what I pray for because God's going to say yes and I'm not confident it's the right thing to ask for. We can thank God that the granting of our needs is conditional, not only on our asking, seeking and knocking, but also on whether what we desire by asking, seeking and knocking is good. Have a think for yourself right now. What kinds of things do you ask for in prayer? Are they physical, health, calm rather than anxiety, that promotion at work, settled children? Are they spiritual, perseverance in sickness, godliness in calamity, contentment at work, patience and compassion with your children? Thank God he answers prayer in the way that he thinks is best. Thank God that he also sometimes denies our requests. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote, I thank God that he's not prepared to do anything that I may chance to ask him. I'm profoundly grateful to God that he did not grant me certain things for which I asked and that he shut certain doors in my face. God gives his good gifts only in accordance with his will. Therefore, we must take pains to discover his will in the Bible. If you're not studying the Bible for yourself, don't presume you can know how to pray. You can't. But if you're willing to learn God's will and ask for it, if you're willing to persist in prayer, to ask and seek and knock, if you genuinely want to receive good gifts from God, then you should expect the gracious gifts of God to flow abundantly in your direction in answer to your prayer. Fifth and final point, and we're very much on the home stretch now, friends. Verse 12, in many respects, is a reiteration of Jesus' great command to love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 12, look with me. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. Self-advantage often drives an individual in any situation. It's the concept that all professional sport in the Olympics is built on, and we and I stand and cheer as we watch an individual or a team do their very best to advantage themselves and win. We love it. In school, we do it. In university, we do it. In the workplace, we do it. In the world, we look for ways to advantage ourselves to bring ourselves the greatest gain. The Christian life is a call to take up your cross and follow the one who sought humbly to relinquish self-advantage in the pursuit of advantaging others. Namely, you who have put your trust in him is the one he advantaged. So the golden rule then is a command to forego self-advantage and pursue the advantage of those around you, like Jesus did and he still does. Do to others as you would normally do to yourself. Advantage others over yourself. 
instead of working out how to advantage yourself in any given situation that you find yourself in, how can you use your God-given ability, strength, health, wealth in order to benefit others, in order to advantage and advance others, even ahead of yourself? That is a challenge. And that is a challenge that Jesus has set before every Christian. Let me wrap up, friends. If we can do it now, we will smash it later. If we can work out how to do this now in our homes, amongst our families, face-to-face, relating well, online and over the phone as best we can, if we can be living a prayer-filled, God-dependent, other-person-advantaging, serving life now in isolation, it will be easy, a joy, a blessing when we come back together. If we can do it now, we will smash it later, friends. So what are you going to do today in this as a result of God's word to you? Whatever you're going to do, write it down or tell someone one thing. How are you going to revolutionize your relationship with your heavenly father through your new and improved prayer life today? How are you going to do it? Write it down. Tell a friend. What are you going to do? Genuinely write it down. How are you going to encourage a brother or sister who's caught in sin this week? Write it down. How are you going to remove the sin from your life, remove that plank from your life? How are you going to make steps in that direction this week? Write it down or tell a friend or both. Friends, what are you going to do in response to God's word today? Let me pray for wisdom for you. Please join me. Loving Father and Almighty God, we pray for wisdom for all who have read God's read your word today in Matthew 7 and for me who has read your word in Matthew 7 today. Lord, help us all to respond to your word, to consider our prayer lives, to consider the plank that might be in our own eye, to work out how can we can help to remove the speck from other people's eyes. Lord, help us in our relationships to love one another, to be thinking and working and looking to the ways in which we can advantage others rather than always focusing on how we advantage ourselves. Lord, we ask for wisdom. We ask for strength by the Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.